Well, good morning, Christchurch Fairham. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, it's been a joy for me seeing how this new church has flourished over the last couple of years. Uh, from the moment we sent a small team, really, from Christ Central Church in Portsmouth, it's been great to see how you've settled, how you've grown, how others have been drawn in to be a part of your family, and seeing um, a number of you emerge in your own gifting and your own calling as you're loving this church together um, and serving the people of Fareham really well. It's great that Duncan is now full-time. It's great that you've got to a position where he's able to be fully focused on serving you as a group. And again, that's just a testimony to the faithfulness of God and the fruitfulness of these first couple of years. I speak to Duncan regularly. Uh, Lizzie and I are regularly in touch with Duncan and Rachel. We'd love to see them more. Indeed, we'd all love to see people more at the moment. And we're having to just deal with the limitations uh, that are presently on us. But we are praying that they won't last for much longer. Hence, uh, speaking to you on a video, but long to be with you in person very soon. There's a particular objective to what I have to bring to you today. In a moment, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 20. But I want to speak to you about eldership. You're coming to a point now where you're no longer a church plant, but you're becoming an established church, where you transition from being a group, uh, a group of Christians wanting to see something established and started to having now got something in place, beginning to resemble far more a, a small church as opposed to a new church plant. Indeed, now you're moving towards 50 or so. Um, you may even be around that kind of number. It's appropriate for us to be thinking about appointing elders into the church. And it's not a decision that you rush. You are careful uh, as you evaluate and consider who are the elders emerging in this group. And in identifying elders, of course, we go to the Bible and we read, what does the Bible have to say about elders in the church? We particularly read the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, Titus chapter 1. In 1 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul gives the criteria for appointing elders. And he emphasizes godliness and character. You'll see as you read through the list that actually what's being described are not spectacularly gifted individuals. These aren't the most talented you know, all dancing, all singing, all juggling, spectacular talents. Actually, these are trustworthy, faithful, mature, godly men who are responsible for the guarding, the guiding, the governing of the local church in a servant leadership role. Now, there is a particular gift that's required for elders. It's not the gift of prophecy. It's not the gift of tongues. It's not um, any of those more supernatural gifts. What Paul emphasizes is the gift of teaching. He must be able to teach. But beside that, the description is really of godly men uh, who are um, married normally, who have children normally, Although there are plenty of exceptions, the Apostle Paul himself was unmarried. The Apostle Paul himself didn't have kids. And of course, he was the one writing the scriptures. And, 
and uh, appointing elders and raising up apostles to do a lot of that work on his behalf. So as we come to think about elders for Christ Church Fareham, we need to evaluate who could potentially be an elder on the basis of what the Bible teaches. Now that's an exercise which I'm heavily involved with alongside Duncan, uh, but it's also um, an exercise which you as a church need to fully participate in. We want to hear from you. Your opinions really matter and count in this process. So I want to invite you to um, to email us with some of your thoughts. As I go through this passage in Acts 20, which really does give us a picture for, for what elders do in the church and what the Apostle Paul's expectation was for elders, I want you to be thinking, do we have elders in this church? Are there any individuals that, that you're looking at and thinking, actually, that's them. They look a lot like the elders that Paul um, spoke with. Um, in uh, the elders from the church in Ephesus. So please be thinking along those lines. Duncan's going to provide you with an email address and we'd love you to email in and to share confidentially your thoughts on who you see emerging as an elder in in the church. Um, it should go without saying that you don't nominate yourself, that you are looking to nominate others. And what we're going to do is we will sit down, we will read carefully everything that you've put forward. And over the process of the next few months, next three to six months, um, Lizzie and I, Duncan and Rachel, will meet, we'll pray, we'll, we'll consider um, the feedback that we've received, what we feel God is saying, what we feel God is doing. And we may well then... Uh, do several interviews if candidates are put forward who we think could be viable um, as elders. Uh, it should probably also go without saying that Duncan will be one of those, as Duncan has been bringing leadership and pastoring and teaching to you. But really, we want to appoint not just one elder, but elders. So probably it's Duncan plus one, maybe two others. Whenever we come across elders in the Bible, it's always the plural. We never find Paul writing to the elder of a particular church, but to elders. And when he's writing his pastoral epistles, again, it's plural, it's elders, overseers. So when we come to make these appointments, we are looking for multiple, but it just helps in terms of leadership. If you just have one person, if you like, at the summit of leadership, making all the decisions independently, it's just not very healthy and it's not a biblical model. Now, Duncan and Rachel have been working with the team right from the beginning, which has been excellent. Uh, but we want to more intentionally see that this leadership team is biblically shaped. Uh, we want to take the biblical terms, elders, with the biblical definitions, which we see, as I say, in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We want to line up with that. And we then want to commit to God before you a proposal so we hope, I hope at least by this time next year, you will have had elders appointed. And my goal really before the Lord and before you is that within six months, we'll be able to do this. It's now two years on since you started. This is a good moment, I think, for us to be um, making this next step. So let's turn together to Acts 20, verses 17 to 38, we're going to be reading. An important context to note 
Um, Paul has spent time with this church in Ephesus. This is a church really that he started on his missionary journey. He encounters some disciples. They'd received the baptism of John. Paul leads them to uh, understand the baptism that we receive through Jesus, which is a baptism in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. They received John's baptism, which was an anticipation of the coming Messiah. Of course, now the Messiah has come and Paul gives them the full gospel, baptizes them. He lays hands on them. They are baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit and the church begins. And it would seem over maybe two years, Paul spends considerable time investing into this new church and raising up disciples, leaders, elders. He gave particular careful attention to raising up elders, though it wasn't exclusively elders that Paul raised up. He would have raised up deacons as well. And he, in his missionary journeys, had all kinds of who he would call co-workers, co-laborers alongside him, men and women. But as he's raising up these godly men to be elders, he clearly sees their role as crucial in serving the church. Right at the beginning of Acts, we find Paul gathers the disciples in Ephesus, which would be the whole church or the churches, if there are multiple churches in the region. And he gathers them to say farewell because he knows he's going to be moving on and he's not going to see them again. But the passage that we're going to be looking at is Paul gathering the elders specifically in what's referred to as the farewell address. So we can see a lot about what Paul expects from elders in this brilliant narrative. It's a really powerful, wonderful description. Let's read together from verse 17 of Acts 20, and I'm reading the CSB version. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to him, he said to them, you know from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified both to Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are awaiting me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on your guard for yourselves and for the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers or elders to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up, even from your own number, and distort the truth 
to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I have shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by labouring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. After this, he said, after he'd said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most over, um, most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is a very moving encounter that the Apostle Paul has with these brothers of his, these dear friends whom he loves with all his heart. What we're able to learn from this encounter are several things, namely that elders lead, elders love, elders serve, elders teach, elders guard or protect. Elders lead, love, serve, teach, guard. We see this in the exchange that Paul has with these elders. So the first thing to say is that elders lead. Well, how's that obvious from the passage? Well, it's actually just implicit in that Paul summons the elders to him. It's implicit in the fact that he had an occasion for gathering the whole church in verse 1 of Acts 20. And here he gathers to himself the elders specifically because he has a particular charge to them. Because in going, he wants to ensure that this church that he's given his life to over these, net last, over these previous couple of years is really well loved, really well led, really well protected. He's holding these guys to account. He's charging them. He's giving them this responsibility. In other words, he's going, but you better make sure you guys who are staying behind... I don't want to see this unravel. I love this church. I love this people. And you are being charged to see that they're loved and cared for and led well. He, he brings the elders to a place of receiving this charge, receiving this commission before he leads. Elders in the church are, the, uh, are God appointed. He says he's appointed by the Holy Spirit to see that the flock protected and cared for and well led to green pastures what what are the green pastures in our context well the green pastures would be enjoying delighting glorifying god as we're led to encounter him through his word by his holy spirit so elders who are good shepherds caring for the flock want to lead you to jesus and are always wanting to lead you to Jesus. They lead you to him through the ministry of the word, through the example of their lives in how they um, lead and serve and care for you. So they're a great example and they make you think, well, I want to be like them. And being like them means loving Jesus with all, all my heart. I want to love Jesus with all my heart because 
these guys seem to be full of joy. They seem to love God, and I want to love God the way they do. So that they, they set you an example. That's what leaders do. They say, come follow me as I follow Jesus. Come imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he would say that to those that he was training. And so I'd want elders to similarly set an example for you to imitate. But they are to be shepherds uh, of a flock. But they themselves are being shepherded. For Jesus is our great shepherd, the good shepherd. And so all good shepherds appointed by the shepherd know what it's like to be a sheep <laughs> who follows the lead of a shepherd. And, and so similarly, we would see it's important for all elders to themselves um, be in submission to authority, to the word of God, to the input of um, an apostolic team, those bringing support and care to the church. And particularly in this instance, I would be the main contact. But there are others in our family that would help you. Chris Kilby would be another example. Um, and as a team in commission, we, we want to serve you well. Um, but elders lead and they, they lead like Jesus. The next thing to see is that elders love. I mean, it's just so evident, isn't it, in this narrative, how much they loved each other. Let's just look again at verses 37 to 38. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. They accompanied him to the ship. Do you know, it's just a nonsense to think that effective leadership in the church is done outside of deep, loving friendship and relationship. Paul shows us clearly that these guys loved each other. They loved Paul. I mean, they were hugging, weeping, kissing him. I mean, it, it, it couldn't be more of an intimate scene of of wholehearted friendship and devotion it it's it's a lovely thing to witness and can i tell you from my own experience of having um also raised up an eldership team when i was leading in portsmouth i would say one of the, the best things about the team which i led were was that we were friends that we loved each other we were brothers and uh, and collectively with our wives we were we were a, a a group of friends that knew one another, loved one another, cared for one another, invested time into each other's lives. Every every month, we would all get together, elders and wives, we would eat together, we would pray for one another, we would share what was happening in our lives. We knew each other's baggage, we knew what we were going through, and we cared for, for each other. And when we left, there was a real sense of sorrow that we weren't going to be with them as much as we were. Now, we're grateful we remain still very close to the church in Portsmouth. Um, but I would say you don't bypass relationship and love and friendship for the sake of mission. The mission that we've received from Jesus to go and make disciples is done in loving relationship. It's just what Jesus did. He gathered to himself 12 who he invested in, three particularly, Peter, uh, James and John, who he spent particular time with and particularly, it seemed, had a very close bond with. Um, so Jesus sets us that example. Paul clearly did similarly. He had a very close relationship with Timothy and, 
and with Barnabas and with Titus and Silas, we see him spending a lot of time with these. Phoebe would be a sister he commends who's dear to him. Priscilla and Aquila, this married couple who he did ministry with. Paul loved to, to spend time with people and use, uh, didn't just use people as a means to an end, but saw that mission was most effective out of relationships. So elders love, and I would expect anyone who is commended by you to be an elder to be someone that you know loves you and loves this church and loves Pharaoh. They're not in it for their own gain. They are showing the kind of love that Jesus showed, which goes to the cross. It's a self-sacrificing love. Um, and really, leadership in the church is not a ladder to be climbed. If it's a ladder, it's a la ladder not for ascent, but for descent. Do you see what I mean by that? It's not self-exaltation. It's, it's being humble. It's being like Jesus, who, who took his disciples' feet and washed them. So this is the next point, is that elders serve. And, and Paul stresses this, so verses 18. When they came to him, he said to them, you know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. Leaders who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are like Jesus, biblically defined leaders are not at the front drawing attentions to themselves in a sense they're at the back pushing forward others and serving others Jesus said to his disciples he who wants to be the greatest among you needs to be the servant needs to be the least needs to be like a child oh wow did Jesus model that to the extreme in that he served us in the agonies of the cross it, it, leadership in the church is not glamorous. It might sometimes appear that way when you've got somebody up front, but elders who lead and love and serve like Jesus will cry over the sins or over the pain or over the sufferings of their people and, and are giving their lives to this and will be sacrificing considerably in the process. It's not glamorous. Actually, it's, it's often very tough. And I can tell you again from my own experience how there's great joy in serving God's people there is it's, it's very rewarding seeing people growing in Jesus seeing people added to the family but it's it's often very difficult as well and it's not unusual for leaders and elders to suffer themselves from depression in seasons and Charles Spurgeon would be one of those great famous preachers and leaders who achieved so much but battled with real depression Elders uh, are weak men, um, but they don't deny their weakness. They bring their weakness before God and they ask that his strength would be perfected through their weakness. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. So don't expect your leaders or your elders to be perfect. They're not and they couldn't be. There's only one leader who's ever been perfect. Praise God for Jesus. They are weak. They are imperfect. They do not tick every single box. They do not score 10 out of 10 in every single attribute. Some will be strong in teaching, some in pastoring, some will be strong in leadership, some in serving, some in giving. You see that there's different gifts and elders have different gifts and different strengths. 
Duncan's particularly strong gift is in teaching. And it's been great for me. I've been able to use Duncan and teaching across commission and some of our training programs. He's strong in that. You might see areas in Duncan where you think, oh, he's not, he's not so strong in you know, X, Y, and Z. But he does have great strengths. And as a team, him and Rachel are brilliant in hospitality, in caring and loving. And, and Rachel herself, obviously, a very gifted and capable person who's bringing a lot to the church. Um, so don't expect your elders to be Superman. Um, Super Ted, maybe, but not Superman. And, and expect them to have weaknesses and expect God to use their weaknesses. Elders serve. They serve like Jesus. And, and the thing as well, which is worth noting, is how Paul makes reference to his tears. You know, that's an interesting comment. He says, you, you saw my tears. In other words, you've seen how much I care. You see how much I love you. You see how this affects me. I weep over you. I weep over this nation. I weep over the lost souls that we long to meet Jesus. And of course, Jesus himself wept when he saw Lazarus. And again, it's just speaking of the authenticity of this ministry. It's genuine, authentic, loving ministry with tears. And I would urge the leaders and the elders to be vulnerable um i think there can be sometimes it can be a fine line between in, being insecure and being vulnerable i'm not calling them to be insecure in leadership but to be vulnerable in leadership which means that they allow you in on what they're living with what they're going through what they're looking for god to bring breakthrough in in their lives they're vulnerable they're honest they're real um they will have their own sin which they need to kill they will have their own temptations, which they will need to bring before God. They are not going to be sinless, obviously, but they do need to be setting an example. Um, and I think that's that's a priority for Paul. Um, so they serve and they teach. Uh, this is a real uh, priority for Paul. Um, and in verse 20, he says this. I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. Paul set an example to them. He taught them publicly when they gathered together, but he also taught them from house to house. He's not like exclusively the platform guy. He's not like, unless there are 200 people gathered, I'm not going to waste my time. No, Paul went from house to house and spent time with small groups teaching them and in the bigger settings. And the ministry of elders is from house to house as well as in the gathered context. And I do believe increasingly the mission of the church is going to be far more house to house. I think what we've been going through with the pandemic has caused us to reflect a lot on how we're doing church and how we're gathering together. So don't just look for the big platform teaching gift. But who's the person that you would pick up the phone to and, and ask a Bible question or ask for input into your life? Whose wisdom do you value? Who's got godly wisdom, godly character? Um, who's able to teach in that sense? And elders should be able to do that. Um, and in verse 28, it says, Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd. Um, and then he says this, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come and not spare the flock. And then verse 30, men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth. Now, this is 
um, this is really challenging and provocative. He's saying there are going to be wolves, as he describes them, his picture language, those that would come in to attack and to, and to destroy the flock, to destroy the church. Now, you've got to be on your guard, and elders must be on their guard and spot wolves coming in. What, what does that mean? Well, is there an external teaching or idea that is beginning to affect the church? A, a, a form of teaching that's throwing the church or throwing members of the church away from the gospel, away from the word of God. And there's this new idea, this new wonderful idea which has crept in. Elders will be required to spot that, identify that and call it out when it's out of kilter with the word of God and challenge it. See wolves coming, maybe individuals even who would come into the church and begin to um, operate in a sinister way and elders would be ready to find those wolves and to get rid of them. But more challenging is that Paul identifies um, men from within who would distort the truth. That's a lot harder because that could be some of you who start to teach or bring forward an idea or a, a doctrine or a um, a, a kind of way of encountering God or a way of sharing the gospel which is nuanced and different and not orthodox and not faithful to scripture. Why is that harder? Well, it's a lot harder to get someone who you love, who's a friend of yours, to sit them down and to say, my friend, what you're teaching is wrong. And to and maybe to bring that challenge to the church and just say, look, lovingly, this teaching has come in or this idea has been circulating and and we just don't see this in the bible so we're wanting to stop this now that's unusual it's rare that that happens it's not unusual that you challenge a brother if he's in error or a sister if she's in error and you do so lovingly you don't come come judgmentally but elders will discern when that's happening so if you're putting forward someone for eldership you want to put forward someone who you would be confident could discern error Somebody that has a full grasp of the word of God, who would be able to hear where truth is being undermined or where the gospel's being undermined and would be able to bring that challenge. Remember, this is a guarding, protecting teaching role that elders um, have been given. So you wouldn't put forward somebody who you didn't feel could do that. It's a, it's, it's a primary role of elders. Um, to be able to spot error and to challenge it when it comes along. You see Paul as well setting an example of going. <laughs> I think that's important to notice. He goes to the next place. He goes to the next mission. Now, most elders will be stayers. They will be like pillars in the church. Um, but occasionally you will have elders who receive a call to go and maybe plant a church or to strengthen a church somewhere else. I came to Portsmouth, I was there for seven years, um, raised up an eldership team and then clearly sensed God calling me to go and to serve uh, the, the, the family of churches that we're in from Winchester, which is what I'm currently doing. So that's not unusual because we're caught up in a big mission to the ends of the earth and we've all got gifts that we need to invest and, and see advance the kingdom. So don't be surprised if maybe you have elders who at some point in the future go as well. But right now, 
We're not looking to be sending these men. We're looking to appoint them as elders in this church. So we're looking at elders who lead, love, serve, teach, guard, and are, are going. Now, going is also a frame of heart and mind in terms of the mission. They are evangelistic. They're setting an example and sharing the gospel and inviting friends to encounter Jesus. They've got the mission in their hearts. They're living it out. They're godly. Their marriage is strong. Um, they are An elder is a one-woman man. Is essentially the teaching of Paul in 1 Timothy 3. They're not flirtatious. There's not even a hint of sexual immorality. They're not drunken drunkards. You can read through the list and see it carefully. Um, but I'd encourage you, go through this passage again in Acts 20. Look at the text in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and maybe I'll ask... Duncan to send um, some guidance to you in email as you then reflect and consider who might be elders. But over the next couple of months, uh, please be praying this through. And I would really love to hear from you. If you consider Christchurch Forum to be your church, and we want to hear from you, who do you see God's hand on? Who do you see potentially as an elder, uh, according to what we've just looked at? And who would you be happy to be to be led by? Who do you feel could help guard this church, serve this church in the example that Paul has given? Okay, that's um, in many ways I've fired through this. In many ways, this has been quite a long message for, for an online service. Um, but I hope that's helpful in terms of giving some instruction to you. And I'm excited. This is a mission moment for you as a church. Honestly, it will be brilliant to appoint elders. And I'm praying and hoping we'll be able to do that in person. Um, we're not going to rush this through, but when we feel we've got a clear picture, we'll communicate with you as a church. We'll find a time to lay hands and to bring elders through. And honestly, it will accelerate, I believe, all that God's got for you as a church and for Ferrum and beyond. This would be an excellent step forward for you on the back of what's already been a very fruitful first couple of years. I'm so, so encouraged and thrilled by all God's been doing. Let me just pray and I'll close. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for Christchurch Ferrum. I want to thank you for just some brilliant people who've gone and made all the difference. I thank you for Duncan and Rachel. I thank you for Chris and Gemma, for Dayu and Fumi. I thank you for Johnny and Karen. I thank you for that first group that took the step I thank you for now actually many more having joined and making a huge contribution. I thank you for this precious community of believers becoming now a church, an established church. I pray for your Holy Spirit to bring wisdom and guidance as we look to appoint elders over this next period of time. Help us not to make foolish, rash decisions, but wise, godly decisions. I pray for elders that would bless this church and serve this church. Lord Jesus, the way you have served your bride. How you've shown what headship looks like as you laid down your life. That we would appoint elders who would be men willing to lay down their lives for this church. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Hope to hear from you. Hope to be with you soon. Um, I expect I'll be back at some point in the, the new year and we'll continue to have this conversation together. You're brilliant. Love you all very much and uh, thank you.